Hey everyone, Tyson here. Thanks for listening to the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Got a fun episode today with Steve Mims talking Oregon basketball, the Final Four, Oregon baseball. Um, And also just wanted to remind everyone to check out i-5corridor.com if you're not a subscriber. Got a fun story up this week looking back at the past successes of Oregon spring ball and the times where what you see in practice is what you can actually believe come game game days this fall. So check that out at i-5corridor.com. Make sure you subscribe. Like this podcast on iTunes if you can. Leave a review. That would help. And let's get going. Hey, happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Tyson Alger here, joined by Steve Mims this week. Steve, I know you're in Peoria, Arizona, but like we're doing this over Zoom, and you're just really throwing it at me, the blue sky in the background (laughs) here, right? I, I guess I guess the non-sports rider life is going pretty good right now, right? <laughs> it's been pretty good. I even drove by some baseball parks today and didn't have to pull in and go. So we uh, just kept on driving and made it down here to uh, spend a couple of days in Sedona hiking some trails. And then we're going to be at a water park in Scottsdale tomorrow with the kids. So a, uh, a full non-sports trip to Arizona, probably the first time I've ever done that in my life. I was about to say, um, you know, we're, you're no stranger to, to trips to that area from your, your time covering the Ducks with the Register Guard. Um, were you more of a, a Tempe guy or were you more of a Tucson trip guy? I was Tempe because then you could spit some time in Scottsdale and that. So I'd always try to fly in and then, you know, however it worked out, just stay in Tempe every night and then drive down to the Tucson game. Now, those 7 o'clock games weren't fun to drive back. But, yeah, I always <laughs> flew in. I. I barely stayed in Tucson unless it was like, um, you know, the first game of it. And it was like, all right, well, I can stay here for four days and then go kind of fly out the other way. But I, uh, I definitely tried to stay more time in Tempe than Tucson. I remember it was a, it was when Oregon was playing Arizona State. This might have been like 2018, maybe 2019. It was a football game. Uh, I went and I took an Uber and went, went to go climb Camelback. I was like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm going to go get a hike in. You know, all those years of, of, of traveling with Grife really kind of just, just kind of makes, <laughs> makes you feel like you're nothing, you're but a, nothing but a fat ass sitting in the hotel room, right? Um, so I go hike Camelback. I'm by myself. I took an Uber there. I get, like, nearly to the top, and then, like, I, I tripped on some rocks and just, like, I cut up my, my shin pretty good, and it was doing, like, the, like kind of like the spider webbing blood sort of thing. And, um, and this, was, this was on game day, and so I had to, like, hustle back down, like, the mountain. I'd like catch an Uber ride, like bloodied up a bit and then ended up like having to like take a quick shower and throwing stuff on to go to the game. And like, I was just like soaking through my freaking pants. Like the whole, <laughs> like it was, it was just uncomfortable. You know? <laughs> you know, I would have been uncomfortable too, if I'd have known that. So I'm glad you didn't tell me that story until five years later. Yeah. I think we were actually sitting right next to each other. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to have you on this week one, just because I realized it's been a year since I had you on the podcast and you know, we, since we're not, covering Oregon basketball every day like we used to you know we just don't get to talk as much as as you know I didn't I, I think I saw you at a game maybe two months ago and it was it was like oh shit there's Steve Mims this is this feels like old yeah. time so I wanted to talk a little bit about Oregon hoops a little bit about the Altman stuff from last week and yeah. um how's your bracket doing yeah no I appreciate the invite I a lot of my old sports writer friends stopped talking to me once I got out so I appreciate the ones who still uh, acknowledge me and say hello and and think my knowledge from the year is still relevant. So uh, I'm doing okay in the uh, my my women's bracket. I'm okay. I had uh, LSU and South Carolina in the title game. My men, I was pretty good. I had four in the Sweet 16, and then really? all of them dropped out. I oh, had like man. Houston. 
Houston, Baylor, Kansas State, and somebody else. And so for a while there, it looked like I might survive. And then they one by one fell off and I was done. I, I spend, uh, you know, a countless amount of time like criticizing the Pac-12 over thing. Yet I still get Pac-12 have, like happy during like the selection <laughs> thing. So I think, I think I had Arizona at least going to the lead eight. I had UCLA going pretty, or, you know, I had UCLA going pretty far. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a graveyard. <laughs> you should have taken San Diego State. It, it, but what about your NIT bracket? <laughs> uh, again, my WNIT bracket much further ahead than my. Right. No, I, I can't say I got either of those. So I uh, I probably would have taken Oregon out sooner than they went out. But I uh, I didn't see that big elite eight run coming for them in the NIT. Did you did you see actually see Altman's press conference after the Wisconsin game um, and just. You know, I, I don't think anyone, you know, maybe other Matt than like Matt Bream has been around Dana Altman more than you have over the last decade. I I, I wanted to know if if that of his kind of opining about um, attendance and, you know, what his job responsibilities are, are and, and who's not doing what I wanted to like, did that seem as notable to you as it did to me? Because like in the middle of that press conference, it, it, it I was just like, man, this is just different <laughs> yeah i wasn't at live so i didn't get that i knew by the time i had watched it i'd seen whatever he said so i kind of knew it was coming the odd part to me was that i mean dana has never taken a stand on things and and you know i mean people ask him about like nc2a rules and his line is always oh they're not going to ask what i had to say you know and you know opposing coaches when they were going through you know the nc2a investigations he said nothing but great things about andy enfield and um, you know, and Sean Miller and them. And anytime some, I mean, he's thanked fans before and, you know, they all want to make sure I thank the pit crew for this. I just thought that the third round of the NIT was a weird time for him to pick kind of the most public fight he's ever had. Um, so that was the weird part to me, just that the, for some reason that the Wisconsin one set him off like that, because it's funny. I went back and found, I had a voice message from him. It was March 18th of 2017. It was the day after the writer NIT game or the night of. And that was the game that had the 2,000 fans. And it's a message that he leaves me. I got it while I was driving back home saying, hey, Steve, I meant, I meant to thank the fans after the game tonight. Can you make sure you thank the pit crew and the fans? So five years ago, when they get 2,000 people, he makes a point to call the reporter after and say, hey, I forgot to thank the fans. And five years later, when they get 3,000, you know, that's what sets them off with the fans. So I thought that was just really weird timing. I don't know. I mean, and again, look like one of you rascals in the media might have uh, set him up for that or something and, and got him going but he normally is so composed and you know even if he's under a hard line of questioning he just kind of you know ah shucked it all and this and that and that was weird to me that kind of the one battle he ever the biggest battle he ever picked came with were an nit attendance that was just a weird weird fight for me for him well i mean like that that was what was the crazy thing to me is and i can't remember the exact question that got him going down like that route but like he legitimately like thought of like what he wanted to do and he said oh what the heck and then yeah. like, then like he went down like down the spiel and it was just like okay um but yeah like like as as you mentioned like just it just seemed like weird timing like it was you know this that this is a team that he's spent almost the entire year criticizing just for like their consistency and their play like it was very obvious that like he didn't really like this team and yeah. so like after a like a tuesday night lost in the nip like you know, that was that's obviously something that was like pent up somewhere. Uh, In NIT games, you have 72 hours to buy tickets. It's not like, you know, your season hold, hold, ticket holders automatically got tickets. I mean, everybody had to physically go out 
And it was, what, the third home game of an NIT in the week. It was like the timing of it added up for that, too. It's not, And I know maybe what set him off was that it was Wisconsin and he wanted to prove, you know, you know, he didn't want Wisconsin to come in and say, hey, we're never going to go out there again because they don't draw crowds. I assume it was something like that, that he took it as sort of, you know, Wisconsin's going to look at us now as not being kind of what they are. But to be, again, the third day of this tournament and a team that, like you say, hadn't been that good and that there's less than 72 hours to buy tickets, it just seemed like a weird fight for him to pick. Well, and I, I kind of wanted to get, like, your input on this too. You know, uh, kind of a big part of what he was saying is, like, his job's not to be the promoter. You know, that's that's just not who he is as a as a person. Like, he's not going to... I think as uh, uh, Craig Pintons once told me, he's not going to be Bruce Pearl taking his shirt off and waving it at a, at a women's basketball game. Um, and so, you know, I, I wrote that story in like 2014, back when they were having a pretty bad attendance issues back then. And then suddenly it seemed like everything was fixed. But I think a big part of that was the fact that they went to an elite eight and then they went to a final four mm-hmm. and they were winning a ton. Like, do like, do you think the Matthew Knight experience is that, lacking like or just like as bad as people make it out to sound or is this just a, a school that is directly correlated to kind of wins and losses um in terms of attendance and, and how much do you think like altman plays a role in all of that yeah i think it's coming one thing also is you know u of o can count on its portland donors to fill seven saturdays at Austin, but for basketball you know the portland folks aren't coming down so that is the one where it has to be the eugene springfield area so i think that's part of it that gets lost it's particularly in a game when again people don't look four weeks in advance and buy their tickets to the nit it had to be so quickly so you had to do that i don't know what dana could have done today, but he said you know maybe he goes out and buys a thousand tickets and says i'm gonna buy the first thousand type deal you know you could do some sort of barnum and bailey thing like that um you know, I remember, remember when you and I were covering the team and he like went and visited a frat house once before Dude, the game. And so it was like, that was like the biggest news was like, oh my God, Dane Altman like went to a frat house to sell the team on this game. I, I was, I was going everywhere trying to find that, like <laughs> whether like we tweeted about it or, or put it in a story because I, I wanted to include that into my column of like, you know, there once was a time where like Dane Altman would show up at a frat with like a pizza and be like, please mm-hmm. come to the, please come to the game. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just the and and you know i'm i'm not there every every game like i used to be and granted i didn't always be there at every game when i was supposed to be at every every game but just the the energy in that building just this year it was so uh you know it, it lacking but like like almost just kind of depressing in a little bit just because it you know we go back to the the 2020 season when everything was canceled i mean like everything was kind of high pointing there too for both the men's yeah. and women's programs and uh you know, I, it, I I don't know how they kind of get back to that without just having two absolutely like elite teams again, unless they're a totally restructured thing. Yeah, and you're not going to make Dana a promoter now. He's not going to become Bruce Barnum, you know, overnight. You're not going <laughs> to take him into some, you know, counseling class to get him to do that. So he is who he is. And look, he's been the promoter when his teams are really good. He's, you know, the, the captain of the ship and they're drawing sellout crowds. And that's always been it. Crowds were never really a question back then. Uh, it becomes one when, yeah, you've had two years in a row when people have higher expectations. And, and again, games are on TV. It's the old thing. I mean, the parking at MK isn't good. You know, you and I have always had front row seats. We don't always get it. But there are people who don't go because of the parking thing. And, you know, there are going to be people who don't go because it's on TV. And, you know, the game time isn't perfect. Isn't. People can find any excuse in the world they want to not go. That's why, you know, you need a Dylan Brooks-type team to where people throw those excuses out because they want to go. But if you give people excuses on a team that's not very good, they're going to find every one of them. And 
you know, only 3,000 are going to show up. I love that you said Dylan Brooks there because that's what I wanted to segue into. Um, how are you feeling about him these days? I love Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I, dude, I never, it's, 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 it's so, it's it's so my fun. Favorite. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah. My favorite duck I ever covered. Uh, yeah, I love every time he does something in NBA. And I think back to you and me and the, being in Utah the night of the flop. And then he came, you know, even after this embarrassing flop on ESPN, he comes running off and you and me grab him and he's talking about these people in Utah. They love me and he's blowing them kisses. I mean, even on the day when America was making fun of him, uh, he's always stood his ground and be who he is. And that's what I love about Dylan Brooks. But he also was just great to us. And, though, you know, he, he wanted to be interviewed more than, than he was. He was one of the rare, rare guys like that. So I've always I got a soft spot in my heart for Dylan Brooks, always will. And anytime he does something to piss off somebody in the NBA, I just tell him to keep going. Well, I mean, like also like what what did, what did people expect, you know, when he was at Oregon, too, you know, like outside of maybe uh, um, Grayson Allen at Duke. He was probably yeah. the most hated basketball player you know, outside of Eugene, it's, it, it has been fun to see, you know, Oregon fans kind of grapple with, uh, you know, with his graduation and becoming kind of the most hated player in the NBA when, you know, he's not wearing Oregon stripes. And, but, you know, you go back to like, he always comped himself as like a Draymond Green type, like even back yeah. in college. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the gripes people have with him are the, like a lot of the same stuff as Draymond. Like that's just, that's how Dylan has always gotten himself going, you know, whether it's be the trash talk or having that mm-hmm. chip on his shoulder or just thinking he's a lot better than he is, but that ultimately <laughs> gets, gets him where he needs to go. It's, it's, I've, it's been fun, but it's also, man, like just this year specifically, it seems like the tide is really slammed on him. <laughs> yeah. I just, I brought it on his own, but I, then again, I heard the other day again, he's, I think his contract's up and they're, they're projecting him at four years, 80 million, 20 a year for four years. I mean, it's all paid off very well for him. Which, which isn't that crazy? Because I remember, you know, by the time the Final Four run happened, like, I think it became a lot more plausible of, like, okay, like, Dylan's going to get some sort of run in the NBA and get a look. But, like, you know, even, you know, maybe towards the tail end of his second year, it still wasn't, like, a, you know, like a guaranteed thing that Dylan Brooks was even going to be, like, a guy that, like, sticks around the NBA. Like, he's, yeah. he's made a nice little career for himself over the years. Absolutely. And then I laugh, you know, somebody that Kirk Arista from Arizona went in the portal your day and some Oregon fan was like, oh, I'd vomit in my mouth if we had to bring in a guy like Kirk Arista. I'm like, man, you weren't complaining when Dylan Brooks was on this team and he did the same things. I mean, Kirk Arista is following the same thing. It's like everybody loves these guys when you're on your team. So if you're an Oregon fan and you see some report that Kirk Arista is committed, don't get too upset because you may uh, you may have fallen in love with him as quick as you fell in love with Dylan Brooks. How much, uh, how much pressure is on Dana next year? I don't think there's a ton yet. I mean, again, I think that buyout's still $16 million. You know, if it was a, if it ever fell off into a seven and something, you know, a, a season like that, then it pops up. But if this team keeps doing what they're doing and they're 19 and 15, you know, I think people are going to be frustrated, but you're not going to get rid of them. I mean, you know, there's just, you know, it's still Dane Altman. It's not, you know, like I say, unless it was just some weird stuff happened off the court combined with, you know, a really, really bad season. But if it's just kind of, you know, Oregon, Oregon's had three years in a row without an NCAA tournament before. I know some fans, the modern fan base doesn't remember those days, but there used to be three years that would go. So, um, And I think next year's going to be really a fascinating one because with those three five-stars coming in, you know, and then depending on how many come back, that could create kind of a schism that Dana hasn't really had before. Where they, You know, he may have three young guys who are like, hey, this is our team now. You guys have kind of stunk it up for two years. We're going to come in and kind of get this thing going again. And I could see... You know, Shellstad being a pitcher type who's like, you know, yeah, maybe Casey Benson's going to start the first two games of the year, but 
I'm going to take that job by the middle and, you know, kind of take this team to be my own. And if he ends up with sort of these five-star freshmen on one side and whoever comes back on the other, I could see it being kind of an interesting psychological deal for Dana next year where maybe he has some, uh, you know, it's, it's tougher to get that group together than even these last two have been. So I think, the, you know, who knows what that roster is going to look like. But I think with, with the three big-name freshmen coming in, there's going to be uh, some, you know, some, some teamwork and coordination that's going to have to go on going into the season before they get their roles uh, or that thing could combust as well. Do, do you think Dana is too reluctant to just let some of the talent run? Like I'm thinking Kel Elware, uh, who in, you know, the announcement yesterday came that he's going to enter the portal and transfer. A lot of people thought he might have been a projected top 10 pick going into, going into this year or, you know, even Nate Biddle or, you know, I'm kind of thinking a lot of just like the big five-star big mm-hmm. men that the Ducks have gotten over the year that, that have just seemed to never quite pan out in relation to where they were projected with, with their, their rankings. Like, like do, you, do you see any like commonality there or, cause I mean like where, you know, it, it seemed like where was in Dana's doghouse for, for most of this season. Uh, do you think, he, does he need to adapt at his style at all to get, the most out of the talent that he does have on the roster, even if, you know, it might not be like the best fit that, that year. Yeah. And do you adjust your recruiting a little bit too? I mean, and I don't know Khalil where at all. I never interviewed him. I haven't covered him at all, but you know, but it's a guy that basically from the beginning of the year, Dana's insinuated that he wasn't playing that hard. Did they miss a little in recruiting there? Did they look and say, man, it doesn't look like he plays hard, but boy, that talent, we got to take a chance on it. Whereas, you know, maybe in the past you would have looked and said, Hey, we don't want a guy who's going to dog it. That's going to kind of carry over to the rest of the team. But, you know, with after missing an NCAA tournament and you see a five-star guy out there, did they kind of maybe look the other way on some of the, the warning signs there? That would be my my wonder on that thing there. Um, you know, the other bigs, I mean, you know, King and, and Bull both had the injuries. Troy Brown's another five-star that, you know, came in and didn't exactly light it up here. Uh, Nate Vittles, you know, a five-star who's, who's looked good now, but going into year three. So I think Oregon fans just get frustrated because they hear the word five-star and they think, yeah. oh, we're going to get this one-and-done 20-point-a-game guy. And Oregon hasn't had one of those that's come out of the high school ranks yet. I'm really excited to see what Shellstad does. You know, I've only I've only seen him play a couple times, but he seems like he's got an edge to him. Uh, I always like it when Dana's got like kind of a young guard that he can build around for you know, as, as you said, whether it be Benson or Pritchard in the past. Uh, be be fascinating if Bronny came along too. I yeah. just, I mean, I'm just, just, just to see what that's in your honest like. assessment, though. Do you really think Dane Altman wants Bronny James? Do you think that, as we've talked about Dane and how much attention he loves, do you really think he wants the traveling road show that Bronny James brings? No, but if you're, if you, let's say you're Rob Mullins and you find out that LeBron and Bronny want to go to Oregon, like you, and you've had historically low attendance the last two years, like, you know, do you, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting situation. But from a pure basketball standpoint, I actually really like Bronny's game. I think he would fit well in the Altman thing. I went and watched him at the the Les Schwab, and like he plays pretty smart basketball. It's, it's definitely not like I'm the superstar basketball, but that. But would what be... if it ends up being a wear thing? Where just for whatever reason, yeah. Dana thinks, "Hey, I we're going to cut his minutes down to about twelve minutes a game." What happens if Bronny James is coming off the bench, averaging six points a game midway through the year? You don't think that. There's going to be this national outrage that, oh, my God, Oregon can't play him. Maybe he's not that good. You don't yeah. think LeBron's going to be sending out kind of some cryptic tweets about, you know, I watched these Oregon games and nine guys on that team oh are as good can, as my kid. I mean, you're going to set Dane up for a whole lot that he doesn't want to deal with on the outside, I believe. Can can you imagine having to, 
Can you imagine having to ask Dana about a like a LeBron tweet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. No, that's why I think that if you gave Dana, I think especially with every the other guys he has coming, I don't think that Dana would want to have Bronny just because I think he figures he's got a lot of talent. And yeah. again, that Bronny James thing, if if he's not starting and playing a bunch of minutes, it's going to become PTI type material. And I don't think that's anywhere Dana wants to be with, you know, de- playing time decisions being played out on national TV. You were on uh, you were on Steve Tannen's show right before this. And that got me thinking a little bit. When was the first time you were on radio? Like, like the first time that like you got invited as like Steve Mintz, the sports writer, is coming on to. Yeah, it was probably back like under on Tandem, but back in like 2000 when I would be covering like American Legion state tournaments in the summer, and Tannen had a host that was part of that, and so they'd have me on every once in a while to talk like high school or like American Legion sports in the summer. I remember that the first time I ever did radio, it was on, it was on Joey Mack's show. Uh, and it was driving down for, it was like, it had to have been the 2015 baseball opener or 2014 baseball opener. And uh, I was driving down with like Jeff Smith and like, we got like, pulled over at a, like a rest stop outside of Salem. And I was like super nervous. I'd never done radio before. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's, it's just funny because now it's like such a, you don't even really think about it type of thing. And it, I guess it helps too that we know all these people, but yeah, um, I was just like, man, like Steve's probably been, been on the radio in Eugene for decades now. <laughs> well, and I still did a lot for Crepia. I did a lot of hosting shows. I had you on a few times as guests as well. So yeah, I got, I got pretty comfortable behind the radio, Mike. How, how did you like uh, teaching the, the journalism class at UO this last semester? It was awesome. I taught uh, journalism 463, which is sports journalism. Second time I've done it. I did it last winter term and again this term. Uh, 18 students, and they were awesome. Um, and we went out We went out and covered Bush and Nell, the old NCU. We went out and covered one of their women's basketball games, and they set up like a press conference afterwards for us. So that was one of the assignments, was going out and covering that. Uh, and then we had Rob Mullins came in to speak to our class, which was unbelievable to get Rob to come in. I know that. And that was, a, yeah. that was another assignment in class, was writing a story on that. And then the last big assignment, Wazikowski came in. Oh, Again, awesome. Waz, Waz comes in, you know, between those homestands, which is like San Diego and UCLA. Um, so it was unbelievable. Just And I had, you know, people, I mean, Crepia and all sorts of TV people and radio people, Joey Mack, Jimmy Stanton. I had an incredible list of people who came in and it was like I told them I was, you know, it's, it's 20 classes. It was Monday, Wednesdays for an hour and 45 minutes. So the last thing I want to do is stand up there and lecture for 105 <laughs> right. minutes on how to write a story type. You know, that's not what they want to hear. Um, but to be able to get a bunch of people from the U of O and the community to come in uh, was unbelievable. So I love doing it. I hope to get a chance to do it again. I had a couple of students have asked me to write a letter of recommendation for grad school or to write a letter of recommendation for their scholarship re- uh, uh, repeat. Um, I've had a couple who I got hooked up with. There's a new paper in Springfield called The Chronicle who are doing some work there. So uh, it's been, been really cool to kind of see some of the real life stuff that I've been able to help them do and, uh, and to be able to teach about it has, has been great. How, how do you answer, like if anybody has like questions about like the industry and like, should I get into this and can I trust it? <laughs> like, you know, like, like, well, what do yep, you say? To, yep. what, what do you say yep. to them? That's the most common question I get from people outside the industry is, Hey, Steve, you left the industry. How can you tell right. these people to get into it? But, my line is simple. It's I don't think sports journalism is going away. I think bad sports journalism is going away. Amen. I think newspapers that don't invest anymore are going away. 
I think, uh, you know, just things like that are going away. But as long as there's sports, there's going to be sports journalists. I don't know that they're all going to get paid a million dollars. But as long as there's sports, people are going to want to have somebody to report on it. And I think that there's still going to be jobs out there for them. Also, I think that the job pool is going to be expanding into, like with NIL, I was telling these students, like, you may, we may see athletes who just have their own personal, you know, social marketing and, you know, person, even a college student, Bo Nix right now could probably afford to have somebody on his staff who is just going to go out and do, take care of social media and, you know, doing some promotional things. So I think NIL will open up opportunities like that. I think, you know, you and I grew up in the newspaper age and that's gone. But I think that these guys, as they come out, there are going to be plenty of new opportunities that open up. And if you can tell stories and you like sports, there's going to be opportunities for those jobs, I believe. What they're going to be, I don't know. They're not going to be the traditional ones that we had, but they're still going to be there as long as they're sports. Yeah, I like. I, I feel incredibly fortunate that I'm in the position that like a lot of this stuff is merging, or like, in, and me like leaving the athletic came out of time to start this. Uh, where like I had kind of fortunately like made somewhat of a name for myself because like I, I you know I think whether it be like Gonzano or like Christian Capel up in mm-hmm. Seattle who just recently went independent with his new uh, on Montlake.com like you know like a lot of us were able to ride kind of like that early you know, kind of the height of Twitter of, of where it's like, you know, you can yeah. build an audience of people in order to find you. But I, I like, you know, I, I think that's proliferating a little bit. Uh, or, or I think that's kind of blowing up. That model's blowing up a little bit too, just because there's so many different social media networks, you know, it's, it's just all spread out a little bit more. So I'm, I'm interested to see like, like I'm, I'm interested to see like what happens to like the old columnist type or or just like yep. you know like or like like who's who's like the top you know like every city you always kind of know like who's the top dog like in that city just based on like whose face is on the, the column right mm-hmm. like so it's it's it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how this goes in the next you know five ten fifteen years yeah but i think those jobs will be there so that's what i tell them is just learn how to tell stories and you like sports you'll find something just it may not be anything that i even and i asked every guest who came in hey Five years out, what does your industry look like? Let's just try to find some some sort of ideas. You was there any like real talented kids that you can push my way for a free free corridor labor? Absolutely, yeah. No, there were uh, there were some good. I don't know about free. I talked to them a lot about don't do it for free. No, you know, no, I, I that, I'm I'm so glad you actually. I'm so glad you pushed that. <laughs> the I five corridor has never unless it's been a. Uh, we we had one op ed that we ran, but uh, uh, Shane Hoffman has been eating comfortably. Good, good. Yeah, no, I got a few. And I, I, I would have had you, but it's, I wanted to, because one of the reasons when they hired me was they had been doing Zoom and they didn't want Zoom anymore. They wanted everything in person. And so that's why um, if I was trying to think if I could have found like a Monday or Wednesday, you'd have to stay late. But um, if I could find a time, I'd love to have you and other people like that come in there from Portland, like quick. But it's like, I really don't want to do Zoom. I'm so Zoomed out. I just felt like I wanted as many people in class because I don't want the students then to be like, hey, if it's on Zoom, I'm going to stay home tonight. Right. It's like, let's get back to the days where everybody's in person. And I think the students like that, too. So I, I did everybody in person, no Zoom. How, what's, the, uh, what's the baseball season prognosis coming up here? We, we, got, we got MLB opening day here in two days. The Ducks are hitting home runs. Beavers are good. Pretty good. Yeah. It, it's a much better time to be a baseball fan in this region than it was basketball fans. Yeah, I talked to Waz a couple times, um, and uh, he, you know, he, this was kind of before the season, and then a little bit when he came to my class in the middle. But he really likes their offense. He just wanted to see if the pitching could hold up, and it sounds like that's kind of been a struggle for him. There've been some fourteen to sevens and like that, but yeah. um, I think he really feels like offensively they'll be able to hit a bunch, and 
you know, maybe at some point you keep throwing guys out there, a couple of them stick. So I think they got a chance. Um, but, you know, uh, they've, they've had a couple tough losses, but come back and won a couple. So it seems like they're in a pretty good spot, but it'd be interesting to see kind of going forward where they're at. How's the golf game? Uh, not great right now. Yeah. It's very rarely. I went and played sand pines over on the coast and just got killed. I'm never, I'm never any good in February, March, and April. I, I try to get good by May and June, July, but and then I t- put the sticks down for a few while. So uh, February's not a good time, especially on a cold day on the Oregon coast, for me to try to put any kind of a score on the board. Well, I was gonna say, I, I, you know, I always get the notifications on my phone of like photos from February of yeah eight years ago, and I swear to God, like it's been. 75 degree golfing photos like like all of the last <laughs> couple of weeks as it's pouring down rain outside or last week it was even trying to snow so yeah uh, i gotta move the corridor like south of sandy you know if, if the san diego state comes in man i think <laughs> there I you think go going all in right <laughs> as long as i5 goes through there you don't have to rebrand you're all good with the yeah. i5 you, you left yourself some leeway to expand okay uh last thing for you who wins both tournaments um I like Miami. It's the Miami UConn winner, but I like Miami. On the women's, I'm going to go with. I mean, I've had South Carolina all along, but uh, I'll take Iowa. I'll say Caitlin Clark goes another another one. And all these Oregon fans who now suddenly just hate Caitlin Clark because the comparisons are even dared to be made to Sabrina. It's like, goodness, can we just congratulate another person on being well? It doesn't have to be a comparison between the two. You can have two great players. Also, like, since when is like being compared, like, you know, being the one that like is being compared to like the bad thing right you know like yeah, i think it's yeah. i think it's been a nice uh like raising all oceans here yeah well steve uh thanks so much for taking the time today uh everyone you can find steve on twitter he's at steve mims pbc uh anything to plug steve nope just Good. uh hoping just that need- you'll come down and hoping you'll come down for some golf and buy me a beer one of these days i would i would i know i say this every time but I would love to. I'm I'm planning on being down at spring practice a little bit more this year, so maybe here uh, in maybe here in the next couple of weeks. No, right, well, shoot me a text. All right, take care, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, man. Good to see you.